as we continue our studies in Gospel John, uh, today is the first encounter. Um, John is very deliberate uh, as an evangelist, and the, these encounters expose quite a bit of a human heart, um, but also uh, his aim is about revealing the fuller picture of Jesus Christ. And the first such encounter, after the, uh, the first sign of uh, Cana at the wedding scene, and that Jesus turned water into wine. And uh, he records it as if that's the first sign. Um, but we also know there are many other signs are performed uh, as a sign for what? To uh, verify where he came from. He, he's from above. He's sent from God the Father. He's a son of God and Messiah. And all the things are prophesied about the coming Messiah in Old Testament is backed up, verified by these signs. So there must be some, several other signs that which was not were not recorded as uh, Gospel of John continually mentions. But today, the person who saw many signs and person of status came to visit. His name is Nicodemus. But we need to learn about Nicodemus a little bit about his background first in order to really understand the whole story. So let's find out um, by reading the scripture first. Um, today, I, Jay, uh, our moderator, read verse 7 and 8 only, but this is the context. John chapter 3, verse 1. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you can do, that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his ma mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is, the, is spirit. Do not marvel that I say to you, said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered him, 
Are you the teacher of, the, of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the house, a serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. So who was Mo Nicodemus? We begin with, he's a, he was a Pharisee. So Pharisees, religious sect, began with very noble intentions, just like our church. Uh, they wanted to devote themselves to the scripture, to keep themselves holy. So the early beginning of the Pharisaical movement was a, exceptionally noble intentions, but obviously because of self-righteousness and external uh, pursuit of the appearance of godliness, they were corrupted and hypo hypocritical. But we know that they're religiously very conservative, theologically conservative people. They're highly motivated to keep the, any moral and ceremonial law to a point that they're obsessed with definition of what it means to keep that and became uh, human tradition, not only God's law. And they're also known for separating themselves from anything that could defile them, ceremonially, uh, any worldliness. Uh, so Pharisee didn't like Jesus. So unlike Pharisees, Jesus spoke and emphasized inside-out transformation. You are whitewashed tomb. Clean the inside of your cup first so that the, your outside of cup will be cleansed as well. So the majority of Pharisees were against, and they were offended constantly by Jesus, his teaching. But Nicodemus was one of those rare subgroup of Nic the Pharisees who seemed to be much more open. And we'll find out a little more as we hear the story, uh, delve into the story more. Secondly, he, he was a member of Sanhedrin. Uh, in other parts of Gospel of John, directly uh, specify that he belongs to Sanhedrin. But in this beginning of chapter 3, uh, the evangelist John calls him a ruler of the Jews. Why? Because he was a supreme court of uh, Israel. And then 70 men plus high priest, so including the high priest, the 71 men member, 
council of elders. It came from the Old Testament Moses' time, because 70 elders were the rule of how Israelites are led. And they acted as a judges, and they acted as a discerning council together. Um, our modern equivalent, equivalent would be Senate. The senator uh, will not only represent, but except that in, you know, our Senate doesn't have the religious practice together, but the Israelites were all together and combined. He was also uh, a scholar teacher. Uh, later on, Jesus calls him, you are the teacher of Israel, not a teacher. Uh, by end of first century, uh, second, going into century, second century, the term rabbi became like a clergy ordained, uh, went through training, the formal term. But up until, up until then, including this time, he appears to be respecting Jesus quite a bit, calling him rabbi. So it's more honorific uh, term, but Jesus called him, you are the rabbi, meaning you're the official teacher. You're the theologian. You're, you have a PhD in theology. with the established religious authority. Yet, for some reason, he was open and curious about Jesus, unlike the majority of Pharisees who were offended and who were uh, plotting together to, to get rid of Jesus or even kill Jesus then. Um, this passage, unlike other, uh, I mean, all like other John's gospel, very simple. I still remember my, my, when I was junior high, I had this experience of new birth. Having grown in church, it just, I, not only my eyes were open, spiritual eyes were open, I begin to understand. And as I was reading this, chapter, everything was so simple. I understand. Oh, this is great. But this past week, as I prepared for service, oh, there's so many different takes and different interpretation. And um, to, to simplify that, there are two main views about Nicodemus' motive. One is, the extreme case is that Nicodemus was a spy sent by Sanhedrin. He wasn't really interested and curious and open uh, to Jesus at all. They came by. And then Jesus will straighten him out. And the other thing is that he was a spiritual seeker and he was so dying to understand the gospel that Jesus preached. And he came. But conversation tells us, kind of enough evidence, neither is really true. In other words, Nicodemus wasn't a spy because Nicodemus is, the name Nicodemus comes up in chapter 9 when Pharisees were ganged up 
try to uh, plan a plot to kill Jesus, he opposed on their face, to their face. And all the way to the crucifixion of Jesus, um, when Jesus, Jesus didn't have any tomb to be buried after the death, if you remember Joseph of Arimathea uh, had a rich, rich person, had a, this empty tomb, never been used, and Nicodemus was, the name was attached to his name as who helped him. So he probably became, most likely, became follower of Jesus. And unlike this side, who is just very motivated and spiritually open, there is a tendency that he's torn the way that he approached and asked questions. It's somewhat uh, tainted with a little bit of pride and the plural we language implies that he wasn't really uh, completely pure either. So the moderate view is what I am presenting to you. I wanted to use a hanger for our thought process as we study this text. Because sometimes when you study the text, it, you could get lost by the details. The purpose of study is a transformation. So obviously, we need to understand what the message and the meaning and an application come out to be. Really, really true. Rather than understanding every detail of verse by verse and having understand everything, okay, what are you going to apply? I, I, I don't know. It's too many things. We're going to ask five questions regarding being born again as we're looking into this and get that answer from this passage. The first question is, what does it mean to be born again? Um, verse 3, allow me to read that again. Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Remember that phrase. Verse 4, Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Now, compare that first sentence with this one. Jesus censored, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Those two sentences are not two separate sentences. He's saying the same thing, elaborating, taking two different approaches to that. So what does it mean? We need to understand, first of all, what, does, what it does not mean. I, I think the pollsters in these days, because of Trump or white uh, evangelicals, um, the word born again is not a really good word. It's one of those words that people tend to go, ooh, avoid. 
Bible thumpers and judgmental. Those ideas come along with it. And then 78% of people will check on, I prefer not to live with someone who declares to be born again. The next door. So culturally, there are so many misconceptions rather than definition that comes from Jesus himself in John chapter 3. So let me name few. Born again doesn't mean self-reformation. You used to have a very lazy life. I'm born again. I work hard and I, I um, cut my hair neatly now. Uh, and more so over, it also does not mean radical moral change. For those who hit rock bottom, especially addictions, uh, alcoholics or drug addicts, uh, or people who are really broken, uh, partied a lot and slept around, and I am born again, which means I cleaned up myself. And then born again is sometimes attached to the people who are extremely emotional there is a breakthrough happen. I used to be sobbing. I used to be blaming everyone. Now I'm a winner. And catharsis happens. Or it does not mean uh, biblical born again, being born again. Another word is that it does not mean becoming radically religious. Jesus becoming a Jesus freak. And lastly, it doesn't mean extra-Christian experience. Let me share. Um, I still remember one of the thought-provoking book uh, was of Eugene Peterson. Uh, one of his chapters called Naked Noun. What does naked noun mean? He, he says... Healthy nouns are naked, do not need adjective. But unhealthy nouns, by the culture, you need adjective. For example, let's start with a pastor. Godly pastor. Oh, we need to use godly pastor. Why? Because I, I admire my pastor. He's a godly pastor. Why? You could say he is a pastor. And, and others will say, because most pastors are scums. <laughs> you know? They're money greedy and power greedy people. How about skilled doctor? There's a quack doctors, the people who make mistakes and, you know. Here's the point that I'm trying to make. There is no such a thing, Christian who is not born again. Born again Christian is redundant. The Christian, the word Christian became unhealthy. 
Unless you put something in there, honest Christian, the man who is integrity, really honest Christian, Christian supposed to be following Christ. So, oh, born again means oh, I'm a regular Christian, and he is born again Christian. Subcategory of that. No, if you are Christian, you are born again. If you are not born again, you are not a Christian, according to the scripture. I felt that's needed before we go into that. Because you need to put down those preconceived prejudices and even aversions that some of you guys might have. Like the um, there's some the adjective that comes before Christian. Uh, offends me even more than born again Christian. There's a, such a thing these days, hipster Christian. The hipster Christian knows the languages and they dress right. And obviously, I'm not dressed right. Um, When we think about this born again, we need to think clearly through the scripture, guided by the scripture. So let's listen to what Jesus is saying. Born again means a new birth. Uh, spiritual birth, that is. Uh, another word is a regeneration. Why the word regeneration? Because uh, when we are cre- created, and man and woman, the physical being, come to uh, a physical, through physical birth, and then everyone who has Adam's seed, in other words, every single one of us human beings was born with a sinful nature, and therefore we need to revive, uh, have a new birth of that sinful nature, to die to sin, to come alive to God again. So that means a second birth. And Jesus uses this radical term, born again, but there is a allusions and we will look at that just in a few minutes later in Old Testament prophecies about new, new covenant. So being born again, therefore, means becoming saved by grace and through faith, which means we receive a new life in Christ. As a, as a result, those who are born again have a new heart, a new desire given by the Spirit. What comes first? The Christian life? That you try to live a Christian life and you, you read Bible and all that in order to be born again? And that's a religion, human religion. As you are surrendering yourself and placing yourself to God, 
Holy Spirit touches you, quickens your soul to become alive. And because of that, you want to believe. You want to obey. The first, second, third letter of John, written by the same apostle, writes about this is how you know one is a true Christian. One clear sign is that person is a seed of God. What does it mean, seed of God? Even if you fail day and night, even if you don't um, lead godly life you desire, you have the seed of God in your heart that your utmost desire to want to please him, to want to obey him and trust him. If you do not have that, you are fooling yourself. Apostle John is saying, this is why we need to be born again. Born again is not by human effort, but by the touch of sovereign God and his grace. Um, there is a quote by J.C. Ryle, who is a bishop, and, and defines born again this way. To be born again is, as it were, to enter upon new existence, to have a new mind, a new heart, a new views, a new principles, new tastes, new affections, new linklings, likings, I'm sorry, new dislikings, uh, new fears, new joys, new sorrows, uh, new love to things once hated, new hatred to, to things once loved, new thoughts of God and ourselves and the world and the life to come and salvation. It is utterly important, brothers and sisters, to realize that our Christian life is not trying to get our life improving day by day so that somehow we'll reach the status that God will be accepting us, which is impossible. We need to start with admission of our failure our own self-righteousness like a dirty rags, like the prophet Isaiah talks about, talked about. And within spiritual poverty, humbly asking God's touch in our lives, and he quickens our soul, and the new heart and new passion is given. And I fear for my, uh, my sons. And I fear for your sons and daughters as well. Because you could make them behave like Christians. And you will let them go, finally, to, on their own to when they go to college, especially far away. Will they have the seed of God to please God, to to have passionately longing for God. If they don't have a new heart, new, new views, they will not. That's why we, we need to be utterly 
and dependent on God's sovereign grace. Going back to the second question now, who needs to be born again? If Nicodemus said all these things and Jesus said, you, you are the teacher of Israel, and once again, very recognized with the spiritual authority, he didn't even understand this. And he was respected, morally upright, highly intellectual, and socially respected, politically powerful, yet he needed to be born again. So the misconceptions about, one of the misconceptions, clear misconceptions about the born again is for those uh, morally bankrupt or the people who are going through rock bottom experience. It's for them. It's for the sexually premature people to clean up their lives. The alcoholics to stop drinking and those things. Jesus used the word born again to Nicodemus. But the next chapter, Samaritan woman, woman at the well who had five husbands, who slept around, who was careless in her morality to a point that she, with shame she, she had to come out to get the water on the time that no one else socially uh, usually comes out that time. Didn't come out. He, she chose to come out at that time. But to that woman, broken woman, messed up woman, woman with five husbands, ex-husbands, and one who, with whom he, she's living is not married, is not her husband either, Jesus didn't say, you must be born again. Let, let's put it this way. Socially savvy, law-abiding, tax-paying, church-going, Orange County people like you and me needs to be born again. Ivy League graduate People who have a PhDs and a master's degree and bachelor's degree needs to be born again. People who grew up in missionary home, pastor's home, elder's home, who has been to church ever since you're born need to be born again. You need to be born again. I need to be born again. Number three question. Why is it so important to be born again? Verse six, Jesus said, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. And that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. So in other words, think about born again, understand in a spiritual realm. This is not something that you could physically, humanly possibly do on your own. Without new birth, Christ, you don't have a salvation. And there is no eternal life and no real transformation. 
religious heritage and religious efforts is not enough. Your Bible reading and listening to sermons, attending church, serving in your community is not enough. A mere human decision, this is another thing. I think there's a well-meaning movement, especially the crusade, harvest crusade is coming too. But the little bit of a social corruption happened is that as if I decide to choose Christ and that's a matter of what saving faith, faith looks like. No. Decision doesn't make us be born again. Mere decision. We need the Holy Spirit's work to regenerate our soul to become alive. So that leads to this question. How can a person be born again? And listen to verse 8. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. And no one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. There is a two parts into how to be born again. As I mentioned, efforts and human noble intentions and decisions doesn't, cannot make us to be born again. Regeneration, new birth, is God's work. God's sovereign work. Which means grace to us, free gift to us. We cannot earn it. We cannot merit it. So that's why Jesus used the word, the phrase, you know the wind blows, you hear the sound, you feel the wind, but you don't know where, you don't know where it comes from, where it goes. So is the person who is born again. In other words, when you experience born again, being regenerated by the Spirit, you begin to feel the things that you ought to feel. Because your, your heart is open. You, you, your, your inside, your spiritual side is open as well. So that means no one gets married. I had 10-day radical experience. And I put my heart into it. And I, as a result, I become born again. So that's a false born again, the self-reformation. Humbly, the thief on the cross cried out to Jesus, remember me. He surrendered his entire being entire sinful life to him. And Jesus said, you shall be with me in the paradise tonight, to today. 
which means he was born again. At the same time, there is a human responsibility, the sovereign, sovereign grace, God's sovereignty, always works uh, with the human responsibility. It, it, this is a mystery part of, of that. What's the human responsibility? Um, to, cheap, to cheapen it, we give formula usually, right? Those, those words that you receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, personal Lord and Savior, and you say the sinner's prayer, and that's how you become born again. And that could be a way to express your genuine faith. But it is a dangerous way as well because it, as, as if that decision to pray, to say the prayer, become, makes you become saved that way. So we need to go to biblical example. Moses lifted up the serpent. What does this all mean? Do you remember the wilderness Israelites were part of training, part of discipline God is doing, was doing because of their uh, disobedience. They're beaten by serpents, vipers. And Moses was commanded to make the snake uh, you know, by metal and raise the stick. And he was to declare anyone who needs salvation from the Bite. Need to just look it up, look it up. Look up the serpent. And those who had faith as an expression of their faith, their faith I, I'm imagining in, in living in their tent. And some people are lying down like, oh, I'm dying. What's that stupid serpent all about? I'm not going to go. I'm not going to go out there. But some people who had a childlike faith crawled their way out and looked, barely looked, and they were healed. But this looking at the serpent was not a prevention, meaning that you didn't get bite. Oh, I'm going to get a prevention. I'm going to look at it. So even if, even if I get beaten, I'll be fine. No, it didn't work. That, this was all foreshadowing what Christ's redemption will look like. And Jesus said, just as the serpent is lifted up, so must the son of, the son of man lifted, be lifted up. What does it mean? On the cross, he was lifted up on the cross. Anyone who looked to Jesus as their salvation and their righteousness will be delivered from the sin, from the damnation, from eternal death, separation. So it really is the faith and regeneration and our faith and our repentance is internal faith, internal stuff, right? But sometimes it does help when someone's leading through the prayer and someone's asking you to come forward. I, I, I value that. But it's not the external. It's internal. Which leads to the final um, question, 
But before the final question, I have to share this. St. Augustine wrote about this. The Jews looked up upon serpent to be freed from the serpents. And we look up upon the death of Christ to be delivered from death, eternal death. The final, final question, the most important question is, are you born again? I'm not asking you about your kids. I'm not asking how long you've been involved in Crossway Church. Are you born again? There is a possibility that you could act like Christian years without being born again. And once again, if you become really honest, if I could do whatever I want to do, if I could keep up all my religious efforts, what do I really want? And all of a sudden, in the midst of that freedom that you have, if you have genuine desire, but at the end of the day, I want to turn away from my sin. I want to please my Lord. I want to follow Christ. I want to love God with all my heart, all my strength. Then you have a seed of God. You are born again. You need to be encouraged. You need to be accountable through training, a journey with others, encourage one another so that you will not be tempted by the deceitfulness, this deceitfulness of sin. Listen, listen to these verses. See if that describes you. And once again, the moment you say, I may not, instead of fear, you should think about hope because the salvation is given to us by grace and grace alone. Not by works. But simple, genuine surrender of our heart. Titus 3, 5 says, He, Christ, saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. Ezekiel 36, 26. I and I will give you a new heart, a new spirit I'll put within you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Let me, I, I think that might not be right. <laughs> Maybe copy and paste doing that. And I'll, I'll correct it when I get to it. Second Corinthians 5, 17. I just past series we studied this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. I want to close with this 
uh, excerpt from Martin Lloyd-Jones. <coughs> he writes about true sign of being born again. Lloyd-Jones writes, May God have mercy upon us. So many of us are children and are only interested in the presents and the gifts and the entertainments. That is not proof that we are truly born again. The devil can counterfeit experiences and gifts and most other things, but there is one thing the devil cannot do, and that is to give us a desire for a personal knowledge of God. The devil can give you an interest in theology and encourage it. As you go on, you become more and more proud of your vast knowledge. That is not what I'm talking about. I am talking about the crying out of a child need for his or her father, the true filial cry and desire. The devil cannot counterfeit that. He knows nothing about it, and he cannot produce it. Only one person can produce it, that is God himself, through the Spirit, as he implement, implants within us a seed of this living life. My prayer for each one of us that we will not live on presumptions. Presumptions that we have eternal life or being born again, but we live with assurance that Christ really is living in me. The Holy Spirit is guiding me and convicting me and giving me this new desire. I think that's the zest and spiritual vitality is all about awake weekend and going forward, isn't it? Of course, there's a temptation of affluence and entertainment, you know, southern, you know, south, southern California. But will we live as those who are truly born again? The signs will be clear in our lifestyle, in our choices. Let's pray. I'm going to pray for each one of us uh, as we close. But I want to pray for those of you who have any kind of lack of assurance of your new birth, of your salvation. I would love to talk to you. And you could approach me just like Nicodemus who came at night because of some concern. And you could come to me privately. Or come go to one of our elders and home group leaders. Because this is really the matter of life and death. And also for your children. Let's not Christianize them. Let's fall on our knees and pray for 
their new birth and their new generation. Their lights will be turned on, their eyes will be opened, their new desire and passion will be kindled within their hearts. So without us, without our parents, parent, parenthood and parenting, they will pursue God. Oh God, that's our desire. This morning, we humbly come before you and deal with each one of our hearts and help us to examine if there is any person who is not sure, I pray that you will convict on their presumption. And we pray also for those who are assured that we will not live on our own um, complacency, cheapening the grace that God, you have given us. Give us the signs of new birth in our church. May, may, may many more new births will be uh, happen through our community. In Jesus' mighty name, we pray. Amen.